Hi, and welcome to Bread. As the year comes to a close, we're celebrating Advent, that part of the church's calendar where we look forward to and prepare for Jesus's birth. Over these next weeks, allow yourself to be still. Hear again the wonderful news of Christmas and have Jesus meet you with all his hope, joy, peace, and love. That was incredible. You may be seated. Welcome. If we haven't met before, my name is Raul. I um, am Ed's coworker, as you mentioned. And uh, I oversee the outreach and all the fun stuff um, that happens here at Bread. Um, today is the first day of Advent. Happy Advent. You can turn to the person next to you and say, Happy Advent. If you are unsure about what that means, you are in good company. We are all still exploring it together. But Advent is that time of year when we look again at the significance of Jesus' arrival. We celebrate and reflect on what it means that God came into the world, not to judge it, but to renew it and to love it. The church calendar does this by focusing on four themes, hope, peace, love, and joy. And these are things that Jesus embodies, things that Jesus brings, and things that characterize a life that he offers. And so we'll have a deeper look at these over the next couple weeks, and then we go into the new year, we've got two weeks off, and then we're back in 2023. Didn't it all go by so fast? Like, how are we already here? Um, but today, we're going to look at hope, specifically where hope shows up. And as we'll notice from the text, we'll see that hope shows up in the dark. And so let's welcome Carol as she reads John 1. Sorry, we don't have a mic stand, so I will hold it for you. <clears throat> a reading from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Amen. Thank you. I used to wonder why Santa Claus never came to my house in El Sereno on Christmas morning. If he were a real figure, and did come to our house, I think he'd find us awake and partying. Because Christmas Eve is the Super Bowl for Hispanic families, and mine included. If Santa were real, and if he were to show up on Christmas morning, I think we'd say, hey, you missed the party. We would all get together that evening around tamales, pozole, my mom's incredible beans, and we would eat and drink 
And as we did all of that, as we played games, there was this anticipation in the room. We were constantly looking at the clock, waiting for it to reach midnight, because at midnight is when we opened gifts. And so there were kids running around asking their parents, what time is it? What time is it? There was the occasional uncle that would fall asleep on the couch. There were uh, people asking again and again, what time is it? And as it got later and later in the evening, this excitement began to build up. And when it hit midnight, it was joyful chaos. Gifts were passed around, wrapping paper was flung everywhere, and by Christmas morning, the main celebration was over. The whole night is built around this sense of anticipation, of waiting, of longing. Family arrived in the night and gifts were open in the middle of the night. The whole holiday is spent in the dark. It's completely different from how I now spend my Christmas with my in-laws in snowy Michigan. There, Christmas revolves around the morning. But for Mexican families, Christmas begins in the dark. And if we step back and look at Advent as a whole, if we take a step back and look at this season that we're in, the season of uh, reflecting and celebrating the significance of Jesus' arrival, we'll also notice that it begins in the dark. Often we rush to the celebration, we rush to the festivities, we rush to the grove to see the fake snow falling or to Christmas tree lane, but often we overlook this important truth, that Advent comes in the night. It begins in the dark of night, in uncertainty, in loss, in a less than ideal scenario, Instead of parting, there was an aching for restoration. Instead of joyful celebrating, there was deep longing. Longing for life, longing for peace, longing for wholeness. And by the time of Jesus' arrival, there had been over 300 years of longing and waiting. God's people were in the darkest period since the days of Egypt. I'm going to try to recap kind of the latter half of the Old Testament, so bear with me. But Israel's life with God was supposed to be one of joyful flourishing and intimacy. But in the latter half of the Old Testament, we noticed that they did all the performative stuff in the temple. But really what was happening on the, in their inner world and in their hearts is they were serving the petty gods of their neighbors. And... You know how this goes. If, if you have two lovers, naturally you're going to love one more than the other. And so ultimately what happened is they rebelled against God and fell out of loving him. This set them on a pretty bad path. The kingdom of Israel was supposed to be a united people with God as their king, making the world a better place as his ambassadors. But they were doing the opposite. They wanted to be like the other nations, and in doing so, they became less and less of themselves. They oppressed the poor and marginalized. They participated in cultish acts like having sex on fields with the uh, priests and prostitutes of the gods of fertility, which is a great way to get splinters in uncomfortable areas. And more often than not, Compromise and corruption 
followed its leaders. And through this all, God was calling them to return to him. He sent prophets with messages of warning saying, hey, if you continue on this path, it's going to get bad. While also at the same time sending messages of hope saying, hey, if you come back to me, I will restore you. But they wouldn't listen. And so occasionally they did, but for the most part, they stayed the course on rebellion. And as the nation surrounding Israel grew stronger, God's people got nervous. And so they made alliances for protection, one of which was with Babylon, their ancient enemy. And about a hundred years after that alliance was made, it was broken. Babylon invaded Israel, plundered the temple of its riches, and deported the people, sending them into exile, sending them into complete and utter darkness, as the prophet Isaiah had said, which is what that song is about, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's about God's people being in darkness, calling for their Savior. It looked like the end of the story for God's people. As they were being led away in exile, as they were ripped from their homes, as they were stripped of their cultural identity, they were likely thinking, this is it. It's over. This is it. We are done. It seemed for them like there was no coming back from this. This was dark. And the dark is that place of ambiguity and longing of not knowing what's next and having absolutely no clue what to do. It is having no power to change your situation and potentially having power being exercised against you. It is falling with no end in sight. The dark is that place of isolation and separation from God and one another. It can be both spiritual and situational. Have you ever been there? Have you ever found yourself suddenly in the dark? The time change from a few weeks ago reminded me of this image, and I couldn't relate to it more. With the time change, it just brought this like sudden darkness. You know, it's like as soon as it hits 5 p.m., like it is dark outside. It is time to go to sleep. Sudden darkness. It it reminds me of this one time uh, this past summer I went backpacking in the eastern Sierras. We were going up into an alpine lake in the backcountry, which is so far removed from any um, services. We're completely cut off from the outside world. There's no phone signal, no one else around. And on our way up, I'm I'm the kind of... um, traveler where I like to make stops, not because I have to use a bathroom or anything, I just want to like read the historical markers that are on the side of the road that everybody drives by. Ashley hates me for that. Um, I want to stop at the local museum and I want to go check out what this interesting plaque says. And So for that reason, we got to the trailhead much later than we expected and, and as we got prepped for the hike and set out on the trailhead, we noticed that it was getting darker faster than we expected. And within 20 minutes, we were taking out our headlamps, putting them on because it was pitch black outside. 
the sudden darkness. And this is a bit embarrassing, but for as long as I can remember, one of my legit fears about showering at night is having the power go out. Anybody else share that fear with me? Just like stumbling in the dark in the most vulnerable state, it is terrifying. It's probably why I wouldn't do well on Naked and Afraid. But have you noticed that when you find yourself suddenly in the dark, your inner person leaps up? You're flooded with initial thoughts of what is happening, where am I, am I safe? And this is a normal response to being surprised or shocked in this way. But I also think it's a fraction of what we may be thinking or experiencing if we find ourselves in a larger level of a dark period. It's a fraction of what we're feeling and thinking if we find ourselves in the dark. In dark periods, we question where we are. We question whether or not God is good. We second guess whether or not we heard God correctly, whether or not that experience that we had at the weekend away was real. We are unclear about the future and imagine the worst. We second guess ourselves. And maybe you feel like you're in the dark right now. Whether you just entered it or you find yourself at midnight, Advent means that this is not the end. This is certainly what God's people were feeling leading up to the birth of Jesus. They too were in the dark and it's in that place that God does a new thing. And so John opens up this passage, unlike any of the other gospel writers. The other gospel writers uh, bring us down to earth, to a teenage girl named Mary, to Jesus in a manger, to shepherds and kings and sorcerers. John, however, takes us up into the cosmos. He starts his account of Jesus with, in the beginning, which echoes Genesis 1. And what he's doing is he's putting in the minds of people that what is about to happen in the arrival of Jesus is a new thing. There is a new beginning upon us. And John describes Jesus as the word. And uh, the words are manifested versions of our will and our uh, mind. These don't become concrete unless they're spoken, unless they're written, unless they become physical. For example, an idea can only become a film unless it is written as a script, right? And so in calling Jesus the Word, John is saying that the manifested presence of God is coming near. The embodied presence of the Creator is arriving. He is the living God embodied. This is a new thing. Meaning that he can be known. Meaning that he can fully express the way God feels about the world. Jesus put on display the way God feels about you. And so it isn't a mystery. Jesus as the word embodied means that you can know how he feels about injustice. How he rages against it. Do you know how Jesus responds to tragic events like the one that happened last week in Colorado? If we think he rejoices over it because somehow his agenda is being thrust forward, 
then we're not looking at the right Jesus. If this is the case, then maybe we've been presented with an insurrectionist Jesus. One that is loveless, one that is power hungry, a version that is nowhere near the humble, born in a manger, life-giving, brown, peacemaking Jesus of the Bible. His embodied presence shows us that he weeps. He had no issue showing emotion. He would have cried with everyone at the bar. He would have listened. He would have wiped people's tears. And he would have raged against the darkness that allowed this thing to happen. John tells us that, that Jesus was God coming in the flesh, embodied, knowable, and he arrives in the dark. In biblical darkness, in the simplest terms, is the absence or rejection of God's creative power. If we look again at Genesis 1, notice that the darkness hasn't yet had God's creative power spoken over it. The darkness of Genesis 1 awaits God's creative power. It has yet to encounter God's creative word. And so here's Genesis 1. It says this. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Words aren't only embodied parts of our mind and will, they also carry power. Think of every show that involves a competition. Judges with a few words like Shantae, you stay, have the power to change a person's career or life forever. And when Ash and I said, I do, these few words changed not only our lives, but the lives of our extended families. It reminds me of this one instance during the Korean War when a war advisor came to President Truman and suggested using nuclear warheads on the Korean Peninsula. And had Truman given a very different response, history would have been completely different. Because words carry power. And what John is implying is that Jesus is the embodiment of God's creative power. He is the one who brings creative, life-giving power into the dark. He makes order out of chaos. He brings light to the dark. He creates new things from what is lifeless and void. This is what Jesus does. And throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus taking this creative power that he embodies into the dark. He creates leaders from the lost, peacemakers from rebels. He heals the sick. He creates a single family from the socially divided. He creates ambassadors from the shamed and marginalized, and he continues to do this even today. One of my favorite stories, um, one of the things that I... I find really exciting to hear is when people in church experience the creative power of the Spirit. They describe it as, as love, as, as electricity kind of just running through their bodies, as, and they're surprised that, that nobody's ever told them about this before. 
It's seeing people freed from pain. It's seeing people freed from addiction and even self-hatred. It's, and what they're expressing is, is what it's like to be touched by God's creative power. A friend of mine is a wonderful example of someone meeting God's creative power. His um, parents were involved in gangs and dealt drugs in the projects. And he's Mexican and never learned Spanish because his parents did their business in Spanish and they didn't want him to understand what they were doing. And so this was kind of the environment that he grew up in. And he once shared a story from when he was a kid of his um, dad attacking his mom late in the night. And my friend woke up to kind of the sound of, of that. And he grabbed his younger brother, ran out the window, and ran to a local church and was hiding near the parish. And as, you know, they were crying and rustling just in the bushes outside of the parish, the church leader came out and he said, hey, take, take, um, take your trouble away from here, is what he said. And it was likely because this leader was uncomfortable with the dark they were running away from. And so my friend was exposed to this regularly and even started dabbling in a little bit of it as well. But before he got in too deep, somebody told him about Jesus. Jesus completely changed his life around. God came to him in the dark. Jesus brought his creative power and completely revolutionized his life. And he now leads a program that reaches to kids that are in violent situations like the one that he was in. And he's one of the most fun and um, exciting people I know because he has experienced this creative power of Jesus. And so isn't that something that we want? Imagine what God can create in and through you. Often we can assume that Jesus wants to take away from our lives, that Jesus wants to subtract. But the fact that he brings his creative power suggests that he wants to do just that, create. He wants to add to our lives, to make it more flourishing, make it more full, make it more meaningful for his glory. And he can do this even in the dark. A few weeks ago, these paintings by Banksy appeared in Ukraine. Have you seen these? Is that Christmas music? think it is. Um, these appeared in Ukraine a couple weeks ago, and, and however we may feel about this, I, I do think it illustrates this point that creativity is powerful in the dark. Jesus is not intimidated by the dark. He meets us with creative power to make something of us, to redeem our time in the dark, Even when churches hesitate to go into the dark, Jesus runs into it. His creative power means that our years spent in the dark are useful, that nothing is wasted with him. Nothing you bring, nothing you've experienced, nothing you have is irredeemable. He touches our bodies with creative power and he makes us new. Verse 5 in the First Nations Version puts it this way. It says, The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it or put it out. 
this past week was Thanksgiving, and I'm, I, on social media, I would scroll, and one of the things that kept popping up is people dropping turkeys into, like, a, into, people deep frying their turkeys, and kind of just it overflowing and, like, blowing up their kitchens. Have you seen that? Um, it's terrible, but it, it, it's kind of funny. Um, that's what Jesus is like. <laughs> he can't be put out. His love for you cannot be put out. His creative power cannot be overcome. And so let us bet on him with our lives. But the unfortunate truth is that some of us have been told that a life with Jesus isn't for us. We've been told that Jesus just isn't for us. We may have heard that the dark that we're experiencing is beyond the reach of Jesus, or that we have second-class access to Jesus' love and creative power. And so what I want to do is read this passage again, but this time we're going to kind of do a little group activity, okay? This is a glimpse of one of the courses that we run here called B100. Um, and so we're going to look at this passage again in John, and we're going to take note of the grammar. It's like we're all going back to grade school. It's fun. Um, this is very simple, but I think it's important for us to come back to, to come back to the grammar of, of the way words are put together to make up ideas and sentences. My, my professor of Greek in the New Testament would often say this. He would say, may all grammar be true and doctrine a lie. Because church doctrines have had a history of being formed without proper consideration of the uh, grammar in the Bible's original language. And so, let's do this. Let's establish this, okay? Subjects and roles play very different roles, subjects and objects, sorry. Subjects and objects play very different roles in a sentence, right? The subject is the doer and the object is the thing acted upon. If I say, Raul kicked the ball, which would never happen because I don't play sports, so just imagine with me, this is a hypothetical situation. If I say Raul kicked the ball, I am the subject, and the ball is the object. And so with this in mind, let's read verse 9. It says this. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Note the object in the text. Note the thing that is being acted upon. It is everyone. It is the world. In the span of six verses, we have four instances where John is announcing who Jesus is for. The object of Jesus' love and power in his arrival is everyone. Everyone. Verse 4, he says, all of mankind. Verse 7, he says, that all, my, that all might believe. And in verse 9, he says, light to everyone, to the world. And so it is plain here. You and I are the object. Jesus comes to you because he loves you. 
He is for everyone. He wants to bring his creative power to you. He wants to shine his light in your life. And he says, your life is not too difficult for me. No situation is too dark to keep me out. And you and I have full access to him. Imagine yourself for a moment at SoFi Stadium. You just bought tickets to Taylor Swift or Bad Bunny. And you're seated in the nosebleeds in the center of a row, as far away from the stage as possible. And what Jesus does is he leaves the green room, he climbs every flight of stairs, he takes every elevator, he gets to the row that you're at, and because you're sitting in the center of the row, he squeezes in front of everyone, kind of shuffles down, and he gets to you, and he calls you by name, and he says, hey, you are my VIP. Come backstage with me. This is what Jesus does in Advent. And so whoever you are, wherever you are, he comes near to you. And so if you've heard that Jesus isn't for you, just let the grammar of that passage tell you otherwise. And as I end here, now that we've established that Jesus arrives in the dark for everyone, embodied, knowable, full of creative power, what do we do with this? In the dark, we scramble for anything, right? We scramble for anything that we can reach. Picture yourself going into the dark room and trying to find the light switch. It's like you're trying to swim with, with one hand, right? When we're scrambling, Jesus says, reach for me. You can put your trust in me, hope in me. And Advent reminds us that our hope is best placed in Jesus. Biblical hope is based on a person, whereas optimism is centered on circumstances. It chooses to see how in any situation, something can work out for the best. But hope, on the other hand, isn't necessarily attached to circumstances, meaning that you can have hope in the dark, meaning that Jesus' light, his love, and creative power can reach you in the dark. And this is what Advent is about. Our hope grows when we worship him, when we lift him above the darkness that seems to be surrounding us. Hope rises when we worship, and hope is not denial. It's actually resistance. It is resisting the dark and worship of the one who is overcome. And so if you're in a dark period or not, can I challenge us to worship? Not just in these moments when we're together, but even throughout the week. Can we make space for worshipful moments with God? Sometimes worship can happen really easily. Other times it takes work, especially if you're in a dark period, but worship is saying, God, you're above the darkness. It's saying, again, what he's done, that he's overcome, 
that he has creative power to do something new in us. It is saying that he is our light. It is saying that he loves us unconditionally. And we say it and sing it because the more we do, the more our hearts believe it. The more we sing, the more our hearts follow what we sing. And the best part is, you don't necessarily have to be a great singer. It's kind of like karaoke, you know, the, when you get past how you sound initially, it just gets more fun. Um, that's what worship is like. It's a celebration. It's singing because Jesus has overcome it all. He's overcome every form of darkness, and that is worth celebrating because it means that whatever darkness we find ourselves in, it is not the end of us. And that even in the darkest of situations, something new can be brought forth by the living God who's full of creative power and love for you. And so when we worship him, what Jesus says become our, becomes our experience. He says this in John 8. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will, not, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He illuminates our lives. He brings to light everything around us so that we're not stumbling in the dark. And so if you're looking for more hope, if you find yourself in a dark period and you're looking for hope, worship is where you'll find it. When we worship, we're lifting up the one who can never be put out by the darkness. Just imagine, just imagine Jesus as that turkey going into the pot. Flames everywhere, can't be put out. But this is Advent. So let us put our hope in him again. We're going to go into some worship. Um, we're going to sing a song or two, right? Great. Um, and as we do, the things that we're coming in with, the, the things that are heavy, you, maybe you find yourself in the dark, maybe you find yourself kind of edging closer to it, or maybe you find yourself in the middle of it, I want to challenge us to lift our eyes again, to see Jesus for who he is, that he is the one who loves you. Sometimes when, sometimes when we're worshiping, you just got to say again and again, Jesus, you love me. Jesus, you love me. And, and remind ourselves that he is good. And as we do, we lift him up. And he fills us again with his love, with his peace, with his joy. And so as we go into the song, let us bring everything that we're coming in with. Let us just lay it at his feet.